Open your Bibles with me this morning to Acts chapter 10. Acts chapter 10 is where we're going to be today. When I was seven years old, I quickly came to the realization that I was a sinner. One time, my parents bought me this cool plastic policeman playset. I was so excited. It even had plastic handcuffs in it. It was super cool. But when my mom brought back this plastic playset, instead of giving it to me, she put it up on top of the refrigerator at the house. And she said that I could have that policeman playset when I went one whole day without being mean to my sister. Just, just one day being nice to my sister. And those handcuffs were mine. And about six months later, she finally gave up and gave it to me. <laughs> Because I couldn't do it. Even though I was only seven years old, I just couldn't stop sinning. <laughs> Don't laugh, Steve. Good grief. <laughs> yeah. I have these people convinced I'm a good Christian. Don't blow it for me. <laughs> I, I remember my dad sitting me down on the couch as a little kid, and he explained to me what sin was, disobeying God, missing the mark. And he explained to me that I was a sinner, even as a little seven-year-old kid. And he explained to me how much God loved me, but how much God hated sin. And so God had this problem. How could he live with me forever and still be just, still be righteous? Well, he sent Jesus to take my place and to pay for my sin so that I could be with God and have a relationship with him. And my dad explained to me that I needed to be baptized. My dad got out a present and he explained to me that this gift of salvation from God is like a present. And when you get baptized, it's like you're receiving this present. And my dad told me that inside the present, when you get baptized, you find three things. The first thing you find when you get baptized is a bar of soap. Because when you get baptized, Jesus washes your sins away. And the second thing you find when you get baptized is a battery. Because you get the Holy Spirit coming and living in, in, in you, and he gives you the power to live for Jesus. And the third thing you find when you get baptized is you find a ticket. You get a ticket to heaven to go spend eternity in heaven with Jesus. And so I did what the Bible expects of anybody who believes in Jesus. When I decided to believe in Jesus, I was baptized. On October 28th, 2001, my family crowded into our little station wagon and we drove across to the west side of Joplin, Missouri and we went to the Sunday night service at Central City Christian Church. And that night I stood before the church and I admitted that I was a sinner and that I needed Jesus to save me and be my Lord and that I believed he was the son of God who died for my sins. And my dad and I then got into the baptistry. And when we went down in the water, uh, they left the heater on in the baptistry all week. So the water was really, really hot. I've heard it said, the hotter the water, the cleaner you get. Yeah. <laughs> I must've known that even though I was only seven years old, I was a filthy, rotten sinner. And I'm pretty sure they scalded the sin right out of me. It was really hot. My dad lowered me into that water and he brought me up again and I was made new. And yeah, my life wasn't perfect from there on out. I wandered, I rebelled, I had high highs and low lows, but through it all, even though I didn't know much, I did know that I was a Christian, that I was a baptized follower of Jesus Christ and my sins had been forgiven. If you got your Bibles in Acts chapter 10 today, we're gonna meet a man who is at the top of society and yet something in his life was still missing. He still needed saving because he was a sinner. And the first thing we're gonna see in this story today is that God pursues. God pursues. That's the first thing we see today in Acts chapter 10. Look with me at verse one. It says, at Caesarea, there was a man named Cornelius, a centurion in what was known as the Italian regiment. 
So here we meet a guy named Cornelius here. Cornelius, he's, he's a centurion. He's a commander in the Roman army. He commands 100 troops, which means he's a powerful guy. He could just snap his fingers and have your house demolished if he wants to. And yet Cornelius is different than a lot of the other Roman soldiers. He's, he's unique. Because look at verse two. It says, he and all his family were devout and God-fearing. He gave generously to those in need and he prayed to God regularly. So Cornelius here, he, he must be fed up with these fake Roman gods. He's convinced that there's got to be something more. And so Cornelius decides to follow the God of Israel. He, he starts obeying the 10 commandments. He starts giving money to the poor. He starts praying. He does everything that the Jews do aside from their dietary restrictions and getting circumcised. I don't entirely blame him for that decision. But then look what happens to Cornelius. Verses three through eight. It says, one day at about three in the afternoon, he had a vision. He distinctly saw an angel of God who came to him and said, Cornelius. Cornelius stared at him in fear. What is it, Lord? He asked. The angel answered, your prayers and gifts to the poor have come up as a memorial offering before God. Now send men to Joppa and bring back a man named Simon, who's called Peter. He's staying with Simon the Tanner, whose house is by the sea. When the angel who'd spoke to him had gone, Cornelius called two of his servants and a devout soldier who was one of his attendants. He told them everything that had happened, and he sent them to Joppa. So here's Cornelius. He's going about his day. He's, he's making a, a daily routine of praying like he normally does. And if we want to hear from God, we should make that a daily routine too. And then God appears to him in a vision, tells him to go find some guy named Peter. And so he does. Meanwhile, though, in another town, we have Peter. This is happening kind of simultaneously. We've seen Peter so far in the book of Acts. And Peter also right now happens to be praying. Look what happens to Peter while he's praying. Verses nine through 13 says, about noon the following day, as they were on their journey and approaching the city, Peter went up on the roof to pray. He became hungry and wanted something to eat. And while the meal was being prepared, he fell into a trance. He saw heaven opened and something like a large sheet came down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals as well as reptiles and birds. And then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. So here's Peter. He's in another town and he's hungry, so he decides to take his mind off the hunger by going up on the roof and spending some time praying. When all of a sudden, God gives Peter a vision. We'll get into the specifics of Peter's vision a little later, but here's what I want you to remember from these two visions. With both Peter's vision and Cornelius' vision, Notice that God is the main character. Throughout the whole book of Acts, it's not Peter who's the main character or Paul or Cornelius or anybody. God is the main character. God is the mover in this story. Long before you ever search for God, God is searching for you. God pursues. And I believe with all my heart that God is pursuing each of you in this room today. Uh, there's a preacher by the name of Tony Campolo who tells a story about how God pursues people. One time, Tony Campolo was getting ready to preach at a Pentecostal college, and before he got up to preach, some guys took him to a back room to have a prayer meeting for him. Eight guys surrounded Tony Campolo. They had him get down on his knees, and they laid their hands on his head and started praying for him, which is a good thing, except that they prayed and prayed and prayed. We all have been around people like that, right? And the more they prayed, the more tired they got. And the more tired they got, the more they leaned on Tony Campolo's head. Doesn't feel very good when eight guys are leaning on your head. And to make it worse, one of these guys wasn't even praying for Tony Campolo. 
He kept praying for some guy named Charlie Stoltzfus. He, he prayed on and on and on for Charlie Stoltzfus. Dear Lord, you know Charlie Stoltzfus, Lord. You know him. You know Charlie Stoltzfus. You know where he lives, right down the road, about a mile. You know, Lord. Silver trailer on the right-hand side. You know Charlie Stoltzfus, Lord. Tony Campbell was thinking, yeah, God knows Charlie Stoltzfus. He also knows where he lives. He probably doesn't need directions. The guy keeps praying. Lord, you know Charlie Stoltzfus. You know Charlie told me this morning that he's planning on leaving his wife and three kids even today. Lord, you know Charlie Stoltzfus. Bring that family back together. Do something, God. You know Charlie Stoltzfus. You know who I'm talking about. At this point, Tony Campbell is thinking, yeah, of course, we all know who you're talking about. Charlie Stoltzfus, down the road, about a mile, several trailer on the right-hand side. Get on with it. Well, eventually, these eight guys get done praying. Tony Campolo gets up. He preaches his sermon. He gets done. He gets, hops in his car, gets ready to drive home, gets on the turnpike, and he sees a hitchhiker. So he decides to pick this guy up. And then Campolo says this. He says, we drove a few minutes, and I said, hi, my name's Tony Campolo. What's your name? The guy says, my name's Charlie Stoltzfus. <laughs> Tony Campolo says, I couldn't believe it. I got off the turnpike at the next exit and turned around and started heading back the other way. The other guy got a little bit uneasy with that. He said, hey, mister, where are you taking me? I said, I'm taking you home. <laughs> he, he narrowed his eyes and asked, well, why? I said, because you just left your wife and three kids this morning, didn't you? <laughs> that, that blew him away. Yeah, yeah, that, that's right. He, he plastered himself up against the passenger side door, eyes wide open. We had one scared cookie in the passenger seat. And then I really did him in, Tony says, as he drove past the college, about a mile down the road, turned in on the right-hand side at the silver trailer. <laughs> the guy says, how did you know that I lived here? Tony Campolo said, God told me. <laughs> when the guy opens the trailer door, his wife exclaims, you're back, you're back. He whispered in her ear, and the more he talked, the bigger her eyes got. <laughs> And then Tony Campolo said with real authority, both of you sit down. I'm going to talk and you're going to listen. And man, did they listen. <laughs> and that afternoon, I led those two young people to Jesus Christ. You see, God pursues. God is the one who brought you here today. And God is the one who wants to call you today. We've spent several months now together in the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts, and we've seen God pursue people all along. We've seen God go after lost sheep and lost coins and beggars to bring into his banquet. We've seen Jesus say that I came to seek and save the lost. We've seen God pursue people like the 12 disciples, and then, and then in Acts, we've seen him pursue people like, like Saul and the Ethiopian eunuch and now Cornelius. Maybe today God is pursuing you Maybe you've had some stuff happen in your life that's really just too crazy to be a coincidence. Or maybe you can't help but feeling like Cornelius did, that there's got to be something more to life. Maybe God's calling you to do today what you have been putting off. After the sermon, we're gonna have some baptisms. And God's been pursuing some of you. And you need to surrender to him. So if God moves you to come be baptized today, come. God pursues. But why does God pursue? God pursues because goodness fails. God will pursue you because goodness will fail you. By the world's standards, you see, Cornelius was a pretty good guy. He had risen to the highest rank in the Roman army that you could get to if you weren't born into nobility. 
So Cornelius, he had the respect of the upper class because he was a wealthy guy. He was a commander of troops. He also had the respect of the working class because he was a normal guy who just pulled himself up by his own bootstraps. And more than that, he also had the respect of the Jewish people because Cornelius uh, was, uh, loved God and gave generously and prayed. But goodness was not enough. Even though he was a pretty good guy, it wasn't enough. Cornelius knew that there had to be more to life than just climbing the ladder. He knew there was more to life than just making money. He knew there was more to life than just being a family man. He knew there was more to life than just being a nice guy. All those things are fine, sure. But it wasn't enough to get him to heaven, to get him right with God. Cornelius was a nice guy, but he was still lost. He was dead in his sin. He needed saved. I remember riding in the car with Steve around town while I was interviewing for this job, and I asked him what the toughest part of doing ministry in Plainfield was. He said, you know, in this community, it's a good community. It's full of good people with good families and good jobs and good schools, living good lives. So they don't see why they need Jesus. They don't see that they're lost and need saving. Fact of the matter is, some of you today don't think you're all that bad. You think you're a pretty good person. So here's what I wanna do. I wanna have a little bit of audience participation time today to see how good we really are. Can we do that? All right, I'm gonna go down through the 10 commandments, okay? And I want you to keep track in your head how many of them you've never broken your entire life. Keep track in your head, then you're gonna raise your hands at the end. We're gonna see who's really righteous in this group. Sound good? Okay, keep track in your head how many you've never broken, all right? First commandment, you shall have no other gods before me. So if you've always put God first, you've never put money first or work first or family first, then you count that as one you've never broken, all right? The second commandment says, Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image. So if you've never fastened, fashioned an idol and then bowed down and worshiped that idol, then you count that as one you've never broken. Aren't you glad that one's in there? Now we all have one. <laughs> Commandment number three says, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain. So if you've never used the expression, Oh my God, then you count that as one you've never broken. The fourth commandment says, remember the Sabbath day and keep it holy. So if you never skip church, you're never late to church, you're never distracted when you're in church, you never leave church early during the last song. Yeah, I see you people, yeah. <laughs> then you count that as one you've never broken. Commandment number five, honor your father and mother. So if when you were little, you never disobeyed your parents, never backtalked, never sassed, and now that your parents are a little older, you're never disrespectful, you never complain about them, then you count that as one you've never broken. The sixth commandment says, thou shalt not kill. So if you've never murdered anybody. <laughs> but actually, Jesus says that when you're angry with somebody in your heart, that's as good as murder, but I'm not even gonna count that today. I'm gonna catch you, cut you a little bit of slack, all right? So if you've never murdered anybody, count that as one you've never broken, okay? Commandment number seven. Thou shalt not commit adultery. Now, Jesus says that if you lust after somebody in your heart, that's the same as committing adultery. So if you've never been sexually active before or outside of marriage, you've never been unfaithful to your spouse, you've never even uh, looked at somebody a little bit too long, let your eyes linger and your mind wander, then you count that as one you've never broken. Commandment number eight says, thou shalt not steal. So if you've never taken anything 
that wasn't yours, not a dime out of your mother's purse, not a towel out of a hotel room, then you count that as one you've never broken, okay? The ninth commandment says, thou shalt not bear false witness. So if you've never lied, you've never deceived the IRS, you've never said to somebody, yeah, you really look nice, when you know inside they look terrible. (laughs) Then you count that as one you've never broken. (laughs) And commandment number 10 here, the last one says, thou shalt not covet. So if you've never craved anything or anyone that belonged to someone else, right? If you've never been jealous of a team that won the Big Ten tournament when yours didn't, (laughs) then you count that as one you've never broken, okay? All right, now here we go. Raise your hand if you've kept all 10 commandments all of your life. All right, if you raise your hand, that's a lie. So there's sin number one, right? (laughs) Wow. We've just proven what the Bible says. There's no one righteous. No, not one. How many of you kept nine? Anybody keep all nine commandments, nine commandments? Anybody keep eight commandments all their life? Seven, what about seven commandments? Six? How about five, five commandments? That's half, that's not even a passing grade. Six, five commandments? I knew you all were a wicked church, I knew it. (laughs) I'm I'm not gonna go any further, I don't wanna embarrass anybody. Some of you were getting antsy, weren't you? (laughs) Yeah. Here's the point. I am a sinner. You are a sinner. You have tried to be good, but your goodness has failed you. Just like me in the handcuffs. You cannot pull yourself together and live a good enough moral life and be a nice enough person to get into heaven or stay on God's good side. It's not enough. The only way that you will be okay is by admitting that you're not okay and that you need somebody to rescue you. And thankfully, someone did. Romans chapter five says, you see, at just the right time, when we were still powerless, Christ died for the ungodly. Very rarely will anyone die for a righteous person, though for a good person, someone might possibly dare to die. But God demonstrates his own love for us in this. While we were still sinners, Christ died for us. God pursues when goodness fails. So if you know that you are not good enough on your own, if your best efforts to better your life have failed you, then come get a new life today. They're free. Come be baptized and let Jesus make you new. Because God pursues, and goodness fails, and grace embraces. That's the third thing, grace embraces. Let's go back and look at Peter's vision here. Acts chapter 10, verses 11 through 16. It says, he saw heaven opened, and something like a large sheet let down to earth by its four corners. It contained all kinds of four-footed animals, as well as reptiles and birds. Then a voice told him, get up, Peter, kill and eat. Surely not, Lord, Peter replied. I've never eaten anything impure or unclean. The voice spoke to him a second time. Do not call anything impure that God has made clean. This happened three times, and immediately the sheet was taken back to heaven. So God had given the Jews very specific instructions about what they could and could not eat so that they would be different from the nations around them. Well, why did God want them to be different? 
Because God had chosen the Jews, Israel, as his special people. He was gonna dwell among them. And because God was holy and he was dwelling among them, he needed them to be holy too. They were called to be different from the pagan nations around them. They had to live differently, even eat differently. So they didn't eat things like uh, rabbits or lobsters or, or pigs. Poor people, right? And so Peter, this Jew, has spent his whole life trying to be different from the non-Jews, the Gentiles, trying to be separate from them. And now he has this vision telling him to eat whatever he wants. So he's understandably confused. Just then Peter hears a knock at the front gate. It was those men sent from Cornelius, the Gentiles. And the Holy Spirit whispers to Peter, hey, this is what I was talking about. These guys are looking for you and it's okay. Go with them. So Peter goes. Jewish leader meets Gentile messengers from Roman officer. Wow. And then an amazing thing happens here in verse 23. It says, then Peter invited the men into the house to be his guests. Jew lets Gentile into house. This is a huge deal. Funny thing is, it's not even Peter's house. <laughs> but he shows hospitality. And then he decides to go see Cornelius with them. And you have to understand how shocking this is. This is like the beginning of a Jewish joke. Hey, did you hear the one about the religious teacher and the Gentiles who were on their way to see the Roman centurion? <laughs> like it didn't happen, okay? Verses 23 through 29 says, the next day, Peter started out with them. And some of the believers from Joppa went along. The following day, he arrived in Caesarea. Cornelius was expecting them and had called together his relatives and close friends. As Peter entered the house, Cornelius met him and fell at his feet in reverence. But Peter made him get up. Stand up, he said. I'm only a man myself. While talking with them, Peter went inside and found a large gathering of people. He said to them, you're well aware that it's against our law for a Jew to associate with or visit a Gentile. But God has shown me that I should not call anyone impure or unclean. So when I was sent for, I came without raising any objection. May I ask why you sent for me? So Cornelius goes on and he tells Peter about this vision he has and then he asks Peter to speak to them while they're gathered there. And verses 34 and 35 says, then Peter began to speak. I now realize how true it is that God does not show favoritism but accepts from every nation the one who fears him and does what is right. Peter goes on to tell Cornelius about how Jesus came from heaven and he lived among us and he died for us and then he was raised again to new life and how God is now calling everybody to turn from their sin and to put their faith in Jesus because Jesus is the only way to forgiveness. But then look what happens while Peter's preaching. Verses 44 through 48 says, while Peter was speaking these words, the Holy Spirit came on all who heard the message. The circumcised believers who'd come with Peter were astonished that the gift of the Holy Spirit had been poured out even on Gentiles. For they heard them speaking in tongues and praising God. Then Peter said, surely no one can stand in the way of their being baptized with water. They've received the Holy Spirit just like we have. So he ordered that they be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ. Now, this is amazing. You understand, this is how we get into the faith, right? Gentiles like us get into the faith in this story here. So let's sum up Peter's message here. Two things he says. First, God's grace demands our faith. God's grace demands our faith. Your goodness will fail you, I promise. 
But if you put your faith in Jesus, who's the only way to heaven, the only one who was good when you could not be good, and you receive this gift, then grace will embrace you. And as Peter's preaching, the Holy Spirit falls on his audience when they believe in Jesus. And Peter just has to stop the sermon because God interrupted and they just have to start baptizing people. I'd love it if that happened. If so many of you put your faith in Christ right now and decided to be baptized, that I just had to quit preaching and get to work. Let it be. God's grace demands our faith. The second thing Peter says is this. God's grace does not play favorites. God's grace does not play favorites. God's attitude towards people is not determined by race, gender, skin color, or any other external criteria. Peter makes it very clear that salvation is available to all who put their trust in Jesus. I love my dad's illustration of salvation being this gift, and when we receive it by being baptized, we get a bar of soap and a battery and a ticket. But I actually think there's something missing from this illustration. Because I think we get one more thing when we open this gift. I think we also get a family picture. This is my family. Uh, we, I love my family. We all kind of look the same, though. <laughs> and when you get baptized, you get adopted into God's family. And God's family is for everybody who puts their faith in Jesus, no matter what they look like. God's grace does not play favorites. God's family is for Americans, Mexicans, Canadians, Albanians, and everything in between. It's for lower class, upper class, heterosexual, homosexual, Democrat, Republican, red, yellow, black, and white. They are precious in his sight. It is for Christians, Muslims, Mormons, atheists, and the spiritual, but not religious. It's for the rich, the poor, the old, the young, man, woman, and child. It's for everybody who puts their faith in Jesus Christ. Welcome to the family. The Holy Spirit wants to move you today from outcast to included. This family is for you. Insert your picture here. And you can be adopted. You can join the family of God. No matter what you look like or what you've done. So today, if you think that you are good enough on your own and you don't need this, your goodness will fail you. But if you're ready to own the fact that you are not good on your own and that you need Jesus to save you, then come. Come and grace will embrace you. Because if you think you're too far gone, if you think you're too messed up, if you think you're too much of an outcast, that God would never want to pursue a person as broken as you, let me tell you, God is pursuing you and grace will embrace you and he wants you to join his family. We're gonna sing now for the next 15 minutes. And as we do, you're gonna see some people who are being baptized who are being embraced by grace, who are turning from their sin, from their old selves, and they are letting Jesus save them and rule their lives. And as we sing today, if that is a decision you need to make, then do it. Come do it, do it now. We're gonna have people down front who can talk with you. They can walk you through the whole process. We got plenty of changes of clothes and towels back there. Don't put it off, please. Don't wait another day. Come be made new. Let me tell you the same core message that Peter told Cornelius. You may feel like an outsider, but God can't wait to welcome you into his family. You are a sinner. You are lost on your own. But Jesus came fully God, 
fully man, and he lived the perfect life that you couldn't live, and he died the death that you should have died, and God raised him to life on the third day. And Jesus is now offering you that same new life, that chance to be resurrected and made new. He is offering you a clean slate, the forgiveness of your sins, his Holy Spirit living within you, giving you the power to live for God. He's offering you a ticket to heaven, a chance to escape hell and live for eternity with him. He's offering you the chance to be adopted into his family. So turn from your sin. Leave your old self behind. Believe in Jesus. Acknowledge that you need him to save you and to rule your life. And come be baptized. Let's pray. Jesus, we are so lost on our own. We are hopeless. We have nothing. We have nothing to offer. Our goodness has utterly failed us. And yet you have pursued us. You have come and you have found us. And your grace has embraced us and you have given us new life through the blood of your son. Thank you. And it is my prayer, Father, today that your Holy Spirit would do his work of conviction and convict anybody in here who needs to be made right and made new to come and to commit their lives to you by being baptized. Father, we need you every day. Thank you for your grace and your mercy to us. It's in the name of your son that we pray, amen.